My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, so glad you're here. Uh, you guys ready for the word this morning? Amen. All right. I'm going to be uh, at the door, the main door, um, on the way out. So if you're new and you want to introduce yourself to me, I would love to, to meet you on your way out. Uh, but I'm glad you're here to worship with us. Uh, we'll be in the book of Esther. So if you have your Bible, you can head over uh, to Esther. We're two weeks from Easter, so I want to challenge you along with the other uh, pastors who have been challenging you to invite, invite, invite. Um, the stat she, uh, Pastor Lizzie used tells us that about one out of every two, about half the people you invite during the Easter season will actually show up at church. And so it's a good time to be inviting. Uh, we're challenging you to do five. I had somebody tell me the other day, well, I would invite people, but I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be gone, spring break, whatever. And I was like, yeah, that makes totally, total sense because, you know, you being out of town means that people don't need Jesus. <laughs> right? And so I just encourage you to invite people, even if you're not going to be here. Like, just invite people for Jesus, all right? Not necessarily for you, so make sure you invite, invite, invite. I believe God will use that, and uh, we're going to try to, uh, you know, preach a gospel message like we always do and see lives transformed uh, by the, the Spirit of, of God in this place. You guys excited about that? So I think it's going to be great, and we're going to start a, a series called Take Five, five takes uh, on the life and sacrifice of Jesus. And so um, first week is Peter. And so I'm going to be Peter. I'm going to be talking from Peter's uh, perspective. And so I think it's going to be really, really good uh, for your friends to be here. We've got some other elements that we're excited about in that service. So make sure uh, you bring some people. But right now, we are in uh, the second to last week of our Game Changers series. Have you guys enjoyed this series? I've enjoyed preaching it. It's a good series, I thought, going through Old Testament uh, game changers, people who God used in, in uh, huge ways uh, to change their nation, their community, their families. So we started with Deborah in 1260 BC, and we've moved about 600 years to Daniel last week. So De Deborah, Samuel, David, Elijah, Josiah, and Daniel. Along the way, we've talked about game-changing wisdom, righteousness, repentance, perseverance, and faith. If you've missed any of those, you can grab uh, that podcast on iTunes or on our website. But today we add to our list by fast-forwarding about 100 years uh, to learn from our next game changer, which is who? Esther. I already gave it up because I told you to turn to the book of Esther. So you guys are with me. This You guys tired this morning? It's a little foggy outside. Uh, no. Somebody's like, no, we're not tired. All right? we're, we're doing this. Don't get mad at us. Okay. Um, so Josiah, looks like we're missing some stuff up there. Josiah was obedience, Daniel was faith, and today we're going to talk about Esther. And so uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we've mentioned the time of the divided kingdom, uh, where Israel and Judah were divided. Israel was to the north, and Judah was to the south, and so that's how it's been. Uh, Israel was conquered in 723 B.C., uh, Judah was conquered in 586 B.C., Esther shows up on the scene in about 490 B.C., so Esther shows up uh, when there is no Israel and there is no Judah, 
Okay, they've been conquered, taken captive uh, by the Babylonian Empire, but that empire actually by this time has been conquered by another empire. And so Esther uh, and the Jewish people are living in this larger empire as kind of a minority in relative peace. They had kind of assimilated into uh, the culture that had taken them captive. And, and so... Um, there are some Jews that have been allowed by this time to head back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. Uh, most opted to stay in the Babylonian or to, to stay in the Persian Empire uh, at this time. And so you can check out those uh, that story in the Book of Ezra if you want about the Jews going back and rebuilding uh, Jerusalem. But Cyrus was the one who did that. He's gone. Um, another king is in power. Uh, by the name of Ahasuerus. It's a great name to say, great name to try to figure out how to say if you're a preacher. Uh, So I'll probably mess that name up a couple times. Shows up in our scriptures today. But he's the empire, emperor or the king over 127 provinces in this huge empire. So that puts Esther in the context of the larger Old Testament timeline for you. Let me just tell you Esther's story, okay? Um, ten chapters, so I'm not going to get into everything, but I think I'll give you a good bird's eye view of what happens to Esther. So let me start by asking you this. Guys, husbands, um, have you ever asked your wife to do something and she refused? No? Totally not with me on that? Have you ever, some of you are like, has, I've never asked her to do something and she did it. <laughs> That's, I've, never, I've never actually seen the other side of that. I thought that was just the way... I thought the answer was just no to that question. It happens every day in my life. Counseling, okay, go to counseling. But guys, we don't like rejection, do we, uh, very much? Uh, we, don't, we don't like rejection. It's hard for men to overcome rejection uh, and a feeling that we've been disrespected, right, men? Uh, that's kind of the way we are generally. Uh, we're not that complicated women. It's really just about sex and respect. That's really all it's about. Uh, you guys, it's about 30 things. Men, it's sex and respect. And so that's just the truth. That's basically it. So when your wife doesn't do what you ask her to do, it's no fun. But it's worse when she doesn't do what you ask her to do in front of a bunch of your friends. Has that ever happened? Like you invite some friends over to watch the game and you're all in the, in the living room watching the game. And you go, honey, can you grab me a cold, frothy Pepsi? From the fridge. And what does your wife say? You got two legs. Why don't you get up and get it yourself? Right? And you're like, oh, now you feel disrespected. And it's worse when your friends are like, oh, she just told you, like, you, are you going to let her talk to you like that? Like, it's kind of this extra thing. And so... We can kind of overreact in that moment, right, husbands? We can kind of have a little overreaction. Sometimes that's not our best moment, especially if all of our friends are over and people are watching. That's basically how Esther's story starts. So you're wondering kind of what I was getting at. Esther's story starts like that. The king at the time has all of his friends over and it's this big party and he invites his queen, his wife, Vashti to come in and basically he wants to show her off. He wants her to wear the crown and come in and kind of show her off to uh, his buddies. Uh, The queen says no and 
she, he kind of, the king kind of overreacts. He kind of like banishes her and <laughs> fires her for this disobedience and disrespect. Guys, I wouldn't go this route if I were you. Like if we're talking about how you, like some, some husbands I saw when I said that, you're like, is that an option for me? It's not, it's not an option. Probably not a good idea. But this is what he does. And now he doesn't have a king or a queen. The king doesn't have a queen. And so he starts this empire-wide search for a new queen. Think like the bachelor on steroids here, okay? So he's bringing in women from all over, beautiful women from all over the empire to basically audition as queen, to be his queen. And so Esther at this time is Jewish, living in a Jewish area. She's an orphan. Her parents have died. She's beautiful. She's pure. She's smart. She's being raised by her cousin, a guy named Mordecai, who is a godly man, loves the Lord. And so she is chosen at this time to, at, by the king to be a candidate for queen, okay? So she and the other contestants, they prepare a whole year for this. Uh, they answer questions. They do all of this stuff. She does that. And at the end of that whole bachelor kind of a, a process, Esther is chosen to be queen. Esther is chosen to be the queen of this huge empire and this whole time, though, she hasn't talked about how she's a Jew. She hasn't, she's kind of left that out of the contestant interviews, okay? And so she, nobody knows she's a Jew at this time. She hasn't claimed her heritage. And so look at the book of Esther. We're going to pick it up in chapter 3, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus, messed it up already, promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, nailed that one, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mer Mordecai, that's Esther's cousin, did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Verse 5, and when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Okay, so Esther is queen of this empire, but she hasn't claimed her heritage. She hasn't claimed being a Jew. But now this guy named Haman is intent on killing all of the Jews. Okay, he's mad at Mordecai, but he's going to kill all of the Jews because Mordecai would not bow down to him. You know, there are other times in the Bible when people get in trouble because they refuse to bow. They wouldn't bow to statues. They wouldn't bow to false gods. They wouldn't bow to people. There are times all over the Bible where people get in trouble because they wouldn't bow. They had this idea that they would only bow 
to God. There's only one they should bow to. And so Mordecai gets in trouble like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others before him. He refuses to bow. So quick question for you this morning. How easily do you bow? How easily do you bow to other gods? Do you have this only God conviction that keeps you from bowing down to other things? Or if you look at your life and you're honest, would you find that you've bowed down to the false gods of money or material possessions, career, maybe it's lust? You've bent the knee to the gods of status and self. Maybe you've compromised what you know is right. You've willingly done what you know is wrong to get a leg up, to gain control over someone, to make more money. It's just a question. How easily do you bow? Mordecai was told to bow before Haman, but he refused. It caused him some trouble. Did you know that if you refuse to bow to the gods of our culture that everyone else is bowing to, it will cause you trouble too. It will cause you trouble too. When everyone else is bowing, the one who stands, stands out, right? So how easily do you bow? Something to think about. What happens next is that Haman hatches a plan to kill the Jews, basically a plan for genocide. So he tells the king that there's this people group in his empire that that they're troublemakers, they don't listen, they won't submit to the king's leadership. He just spins this web of lies about the Jewish people to the king. And he says, Haman says, hey, I'll, I'll even pay to kill these people. I'll take them out for you. And the king, not knowing that Esther was a Jew, says, okay, go ahead and do it. And so Haman Haman sends out this decree to the whole land, all of the empire, in the name of the king, and he basically sets a date. He says, on the 13th of the month, I want everybody in all the 127 provinces of our empire to gather up all of the Jews and to slaughter them. Here's the day, you have time to prepare, gather the Jews up, and I want you to kill all the Jews in your area so that we take care of this people once and for all, all at one time. So the Jewish people begin to weep and mourn, and they're scared about what's going to happen, including Mordecai including Mordecai. And so Mordecai goes to Queen Esther, and he, he tells her what happened, and Let's pick it up in in chapter 4, verse 8. Esther and Mordecai are sending messages back and forth to each other through one of Esther's servants named Hathach. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her And command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people, the Jews. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter 
so that he may live. But as for me, I, Esther says, have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Mordecai, who raised Esther, right? Her parents are dead, who raised Esther. He comes to Esther and he says, our people are about to be slaughtered. On the 13th of the month, this decree has gone out. We're going to die. All of our people are going to die. And she asks, he asks her to, to go speak to the king. The problem is, is that there's this law. If you go before the king without being summoned, you're likely to die. Only the one who the king holds out, to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, should live in that kind of a situation. Back to the guys wanting respect thing, right? This king and the culture of the time had led to this crazy extreme. If anyone goes before the king, they may die. So this is urgent, right? The, the Jewish people are about to die. The date has been set. There's genocide on the calendar, right? So God needs a game changer. God needs someone to step up for the people of Israel, to step up for the Jewish people so that a remnant remains. Mordecai thinks that that game changer is Esther. Esther's not so sure because she says she might Die. Look at verse 12 in chapter 4. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows... Whether you have not come to the kingdom, what? For such a time as this. Everybody say, for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. So in the end, she goes, I'll do it. If I die, I'll die. I'll risk my life for my people. So what we're talking about today that Esther had and we need is game-changing sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Sacrifice. Esther was willing to die to change the game for her people, to be God's game-changer in her time. You can read the rest of Esther this week if you haven't read it recently. But what ends up happening is that Esther goes before the king and he doesn't have her killed. He holds out the golden scepter, welcomes her. Esther tells the king the story of Haman and what he's been up to. His scheming shines light on his genocide plan. She reveals herself as a Jewish uh, person, a person of Jewish descent. And so the king is ticked at Haman. Haman is killed. Um, Esther is favored. And Mordecai is given authority in the kingdom that rivals that of what Haman had originally. So it all works out. And all of this is a moment in time. 
a short period of time within a larger landscape of Jewish history that started back in, in Genesis 12 with Abraham and goes all the way to today. This is just a moment in time, a few years in thousands, where the Jewish people came to the brink of extinction, came to the brink of eradication and genocide, and God raised up a game changer right at the right time put her next to the king, the person who had the most influence in the empire, and saved a remnant for Israel because of Esther and her self-sacrifice. So I want to spend the rest of our time together today talking about three aspects of this idea of sacrifice. And here's the thing I'll tell you right out of the gate. I I don't think we're very good at this. I don't think we're very good at sacrifice. I think in our culture and in our time, we're just, we're just not very good at it. Biblical sacrifice. I mean, we might think we are and say we are and act like we are, but I just don't think we actually are. I think a lot of us struggle when God asks us to sacrifice for his kingdom, when God calls us to do that. I think if Esther's story was happening today um, and you were her friend, you'd probably say something like, Esther, you can't take that on. I mean, don't let Mordecai put that on you. Like, you got you to gotta think about yourself first, Esther. I mean, you got to think about yourself. You don't need to go into the king. You're going to die. Like, don't, no. Don't worry about it. I think she'd get advice like, what do you feel is best for you, Esther? That's what you got to worry about. Why don't you pray and ask God what's best for you? What do you feel you should do? Don't let Mordecai put this on you. I just don't think we're very good at sacrifice. You know what we're better at than sacrifice? Self. That's what we like better than sacrifice. Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. I'm going to get mine. We're all about self-help and self-love and self-image and selfie sticks, right? That's, that's what we're about. I bet if we were real honest, not just average honest, but if we were that real kind of like once in a decade honest with ourselves about this, I bet if we were that kind of honest, we could point to just about everything we do in our lives and say that there's some kind of self motivation in those, that there's, we do those for self. Accolades, maybe, to feel better about ourselves, to gain something, to get something, to erase the guilt from past mistakes, to feel good about ourselves, to prove something to mom or dad, to be seen self. So I'm going to talk to you about sacrifice, but I don't want you to tune me out because you're so great at it, okay? I think maybe we're not that great at it, so maybe there's something to learn. The first thing I want to talk to you about with sacrifice is the timing of sacrifice. Everybody say, the timing of sacrifice. There's a really popular phrase that I had you say earlier that comes from the book of Esther. It's in chapter 4. Mordecai is talking to Esther about going to talk to the king, um, and she's scared. And he says in verse 14 this, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
The phrase for such a time as this. God orchestrated the whole thing, right? He orchestrated this thing so that Esther would be next to the king at the right time to be able to do this when it mattered most. For such a time as this. So God has put you in this place and this time to accomplish his plans and his purposes in the world and in the community in which you find yourself, right? God has placed you here and now with a purpose. He has decided when you are and who you are and where you are for his plans and his purposes. God orchestrating things for such a time as this. But we have to be careful with this thing because what we do sometimes is when we talk about God's timing and God's providence, his involvement in our lives, his ordering of our lives for our betterment. What, what we talk about a lot is, is we, we kind of focus on what we get out of God's timing. And so we'll say things that get us kind of back to self and out of sacrifice. We'll say, now I was, I was there just at the right time to get the promotion for such a time as this, right? For such a time as this. Right when I got here, the market just took off for such a time as this. God brought me here just in time to meet that person and get wise counsel and get help and and get all of this stuff from that person. Man, God's sovereignty and he's orchestrating these things for just this time, for such a time as this. Wow, I walked in there and there was this huge sale and so I bought three bags of clothes for such a time as this. I mean, we kind of, that, that last one was a little ridiculous, but we look at God's timing and we look at the benefits of God. Some of you are like, that's not ridiculous. That's, that was me yesterday, right? Sometimes we look at, my point is we look at God's timing and we look at what we get out of it. Maybe some of that is true, but when it's all we think about when it comes to God's timing, God's timing aren't we just back to self at the center Listen, beloved, this is not about what you get. This is about what you give. This is not about what you receive from God. This is about what you return to him. Not self. Sacrifice. So the timing of sacrifice is now. The timing of sacrifices now. God has brought you here now for such a time as this. To sacrifice what you have for the kingdom of God. For the plans and purposes of God. His people, his glory, his plans, his purposes. Esther wasn't there to receive. Esther wasn't there to be rich and enjoy the good life at the top. She was there given influence, power, authority, money, all of that. She was given that in order for her to Give it up to save her people. The timing of sacrifice is now. For such a time as this, right now. The timing of sacrifice. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the tool of sacrifice. And here's here's what I mean. There's something that goes with sacrifice. It goes with following God, giving him everything you got. That if... If you don't do this with sacrifice, then it just doesn't make sense. And you set yourself up for failure 
things tend to go bad. Do you remember what Esther said when she decided to finally sacrifice herself? She didn't just tell Mordecai she was good to go, like, okay, I'll do it. She asked him to do something, and she did something herself. It's verse 16 in chapter 4. When she decides she's going to go to the king, she says, Okay, Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will fast also as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So she calls a fast, right? She calls a fast. If you're going to sacrifice, you need to understand what the tool of sacrifice is. It's prayer. It's prayer. If sacrifice is the project, the thing that you're accomplishing, then prayer is the tool that's going to get it done. To sacrifice for God without prayer just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Have you ever tried to do a project at home or wherever and figured out you didn't have the right tools to accomplish, to build it, to, to, to fix it. Have you ever done that? Like when I do, I don't do very many projects at home, but when I do, I like to go to the hardware store 37 times just to, <laughs> just to make sure they, right? Because you find, you get started and you're like, oh God, forgot that. Jump in the truck, go get that thing, come back. You get to step number 10, you're like, oh, I don't have that either, all right? So you go back. It's frustrating when you don't have all the tools you need in order to accomplish something to finish a project. But when you do get the right tools, it's awesome, right? Like things go a lot smoother when you've got the right tools. If you're trying to screw something together or unscrew something, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for you to use your hand to do that, right? What do you need? You need a screwdriver. That'd be like a little prayer. Like, oh, I'm going to pray a little bit and get to grab a screwdriver, right? But what would be better than a screwdriver? A cordless drill. That'd be like a lot of prayer. You hear what I'm saying? And so Esther, when she's deciding she's going to go sacrifice, she doesn't say, hey, Mordecai, say a prayer for me. Hey, if while you're praying, you could just mention me in your prayer. That'd be really great. I'm going to walk to the king, and he's probably going to kill me. Just say a prayer for me. She doesn't do that. What does she do? She goes, hold a fast. Get all the juice together, as many as you can find in, in Susa, and hold a fast. Don't eat anything for three days straight, and I'm going to do the same. Like, this is a big deal, right? She's like, if I'm going to sacrifice, if I'm going to put myself in danger for the sake of God's plans and God's purposes, then I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I, not just me, but I'm going to get as many people as I can to do that. Listen, if you're trying to follow God without prayer, you're missing it. You're boxing with one arm tied behind your back. You're trying to get that screw out of the wall with your hand when there's a cordless drill in the next room. Or worse, maybe you've got the cordless drill in your hand and you're just turning it. Pull the trigger. Turn it on, right? Turn that thing on. That's what prayer is to sacrifice. It's the tool of sacrifice, the strength behind it, the thing that enables it, that gets you through it. So the timing of sacrifice is now. The tool of sacrifice is prayer. The third thing is the motive of sacrifice. 
Why did Esther do this? Why did she risk her life? She was pretty sure she would die, so why would she do it? What compelled her? It was love, wasn't it? It was love. Her love for her people, her love for Mordecai, her love for God. Not, not self-love. Like, you've got to love yourself first. You ever heard that before? You just, no, 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 you need some self-love. Like, you just really need to love you. Esther had this love for people other than her, and it led to sacrifice. Love for others and God. Sacrifice is about giving yourself up. It's about loving something more than you, more than your well-being, more than your peace of mind, more than your convenience, more than what you get out of it. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then in Luke 14, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this in John 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will what? Lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And since we're throwing these scriptures out, Let's talk about Matthew 10. It says this, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The motive of sacrifice is love, not love of self, love of others, and love of God. That's what compelled Esther, and that's what will compel you to lose your life, deny yourself, pick up your cross, the instrument of your torture and your execution, and follow Jesus with all that you have. Love will compel you to live your life and give your life for such a time as this, right now. Love will compel you to pray because it's worth it. It's worth getting others to fast and pray. The stakes are high enough that you need all the help you can get. Love will compel you to live in order to give and not to get, in order to return to God what you've been given and not only to receive from him. So the big question here is what are you willing to sacrifice? Some of you? All of you? What about in your marriage? What will you sacrifice for your wife or your husband? Not jumping in front of a bullet in this one-time grand gesture, but... Daily, what will you sacrifice for your wife or your husband? Time? Hobbies? Convenience? What about respect? Would you sacrifice what other people think of you so that your husband or your wife would be thought more of? Would you 
decrease so they can increase. What about with your kids? What are you willing to sacrifice? Would you sacrifice everybody thinking that your kids are perfect? Would you sacrifice your own reputation to get them the help they really need? Would you sacrifice being the cool mom or the cool dad that has your kids in a travel sports league or five? Because you knew that it was better for them to put Christ at the center of their lives. And if they get to be 18 and they don't get the NCAA scholarship, but they know Jesus, it's a win. Would you, would you do that? What about your church? God's doing amazing things here. We had the most kids we've ever had on any Sunday ever two weeks ago. Isn't that awesome? I thought you'd get more excited about that. I was talking about sacrifice, and it was like a moment where you're like, sacrifice. And I was like, God's doing stuff. And you just didn't know. You just didn't know to clap. It's okay. So we had all these kids. We had the biggest regular Sunday we've ever had two weeks ago. Um, it's awesome. Praise God. We're growing. We're trying to figure out how to accommodate that growth. Um, I've talked to you about how the church, every church, needs to be multiplying. Um, that, that's the way God designed us to work. So we're talking about opening other Great Oaks campuses and other communities so that we can reach as many people with the life-transforming truth of the gospel as fast as possible before Jesus returns. That's something to write down, okay? That's our goal, to reach as many people as possible with the life-transforming truth of the gospel as fast as possible before Jesus returns. I'm excited about that. But all of this means that we need more help. We need more kids workers. We need more worship team members, more leaders of teams, more student ministry volunteers, more sacrifice for such a time as this. Because you're not just here for what you get, but for what you give. You're here in your family in your workplace, in this community, in this church to sacrifice for the purpose and plans of God. So this is a question you need to answer. What are you willing to sacrifice in all areas of your life? What are you willing to sacrifice for God's plans? If you're not already involved here at Great Oaks, I can help you with that. <laughs> you can grab a, a serve packet at Connection Central on your way out and then I just want to end by saying this. Jesus isn't just asking this of you. He's not coming from a, a place of not having already done this, right? He did it himself. He sacrificed his life for you and for me. He was killed on a cross for you and for me. And if you look at his life, you'll see that he understood the timing was now. He kept saying over and over, I've come for this purpose, to die for the sins of many. He said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. This is, I've come to give my life up for the plan and purpose of God. He knew that his whole life on earth was for this. And so constantly the gospel writers will be writing about some awesome miracle he did or his teaching or something else that's going on. And then all of a sudden they'll say, and then we couldn't find him. Right? Then we, he went to a lonely place to pray. He got away and he, sometimes he took us with him and sometimes he didn't. But he got away and he prayed. 
He was constantly disappearing to pray and seek his Father in heaven for the strength he needed to sacrifice, to do what he was called to do, to make that ultimate sacrifice. Aren't you glad that he went all the way to the cross? Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't like, yeah, I almost made it, <laughs> right? Like, just, uh, no, he went all the way to the cross. Aren't you glad that he didn't opt for convenience or self along the way when it comes to your salvation and to mine? What about this? Aren't you glad that the person who led you to Christ or led the ministry that led you to Christ, the reason you're following Jesus, aren't you glad they didn't decide the cost was too much? They were too busy. Or they would do it another time when things calm down. Or they just don't feel drawn to that ministry. If it was a mom or a dad, aren't you glad they sacrificed to put Jesus at the center when you were a kid? Aren't you glad? Listen, we love to be beneficiaries of sacrifice, don't we? My fear is that we struggle to be givers of it. Will you be givers of sacrifice? I can't answer for you, but as for me, I've decided to give everything I have to this Jesus. I've decided to do my best to sacrifice all of me for his plans and his purposes and I'd love it if you join me. So we end today like we have all of the other game changer messages in this series. Do you want to be a game changer for your marriage, your kids, your neighbors, your community, your church? What's stopping you? Maybe, maybe it's sacrifice. Maybe you need to ask God to help you get to that place where you have the sacrifice or you make the sacrifice like Esther did. So that's Esther. Next week is Nehemiah. Look over the books of Ezra and Nehemiah this week to prepare. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for um, your word. And I, as always, I pray that whatever is of me would be forgotten quickly, forgotten. And whatever God is of you uh, would haunt us this week and sink deep into our hearts and the soil of our hearts and eventually bear fruit. Um, let us not easily forget what you're saying to us today through Esther about sacrifice. Lord, I guess my prayer is that, um, Holy Spirit, that you would overcome in our hearts this hesitancy to give all of ourselves to you that we all have. We all struggle in different areas. Lord, I pray that somehow we would see the sacrifice that you made Jesus on the cross and it would compel us that we would see that love and that love that enters our hearts as we give our lives over to you, God, that that love would motivate us, would compel us to sacrifice for you, to sacrifice 
for others that don't know you, to sacrifice for our kids that you might be at the center of their lives, to sacrifice for our spouse so that we might help lead them closer to you. I just pray that this idea of sacrifice, God, that we would leave here, I pray that not one person would leave here going, I sacrifice enough. I already got this down. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, me included, to see where it is that we're holding back. We've given you, we've sacrificed some things, but not all things. I pray, Jesus, Holy Spirit, for that kind of conviction and challenge as we leave this place today. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed as we continue in an attitude of prayer, I just want to, like we do a lot here, I I want to give you a moment if you've given or you haven't yet given your life over to Jesus as we've talked about sacrifice and we've talked about sacrificing for the plans and purpose and cause of Christ and you're going, I'm not even really in yet, but as we talked about Jesus' sacrifice for you and his love for you, his great love for you and you're thinking, man, I, I want you feel this drawing, this wooing in your spirit, in your soul, in your heart. To, to give your life over to Jesus that, that I maybe I can deny myself and carry my cross. Maybe I can seek to lose my life for Jesus. Maybe you're in this place today asking that question and feeling drawn. I just don't want you to leave here without giving your life over to Jesus. I don't want you to leave here without making that decision for Christ. No matter what it takes, no matter what sacrifice lays ahead of you, I can tell you uh, that it's worth it. It's worth it. Following God is worth it. And so if you're in here and you need to make that decision just in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own words, just do that right now. Make it real. Offer yourself to Jesus. Ask him to transform you, make you new. Thank him for his sacrifice. Commit to sacrificing yourself for him. Lord, I pray for those who today would say, I need Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. God, I pray that you would protect the decision that they're making today. I pray, God, that you would protect the seed that has been planted into their hearts. And I pray that they would take action, take steps of faith towards you starting today and going on every day. I pray for those of us in this room who know you, we love you, but we're holding back. We're, we're opting for convenience over sacrifice. I pray, Jesus, that you would lead us, take, help us take a step towards understanding what it means to sacrifice ourselves for your kingdom, your plans, and your purposes. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you. May you realize where in your life your motive is self. May you move from self to sacrifice because of your love for God and for others. And may you give everything you have now and forever to accomplish the plans and the purposes of God. Thank you so much for being here today. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, you can get connected to one at, the, at Connection Central on your way out. But like I say every week, make sure that this doesn't stop with you. This week, 
just like you were helped today to take your next step towards God, go out and help others to take their next step towards God. Open the scriptures to the book of Esther and talk through her sacrifice with someone. Lead someone. Be a be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. Don't miss next week as we wrap up our Game Changer series and get ready for Easter in a couple weeks.